Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Turfgrass Epistemology. My name is Travis Shaddix. I hope you're doing well today. Had a little meeting with my son's school yesterday. Thought everything was going well. But uh, come to find out we have some challenges. So I'm dealing with that. We'll see how it goes. Autism is uh, fun to uh, learn about. <laughs> Let's just say that. <laughs> um, it wasn't diagnosed. When was the first autistic person diagnosed in the U.S.? It wasn't until like the 80s, I think it was. 80, I mean, it was relatively recent. It was in my lifetime that the first autistic person was diagnosed. And since then, we've been learning more and more about autism and <clears throat> and um, what it is and what it isn't. Rain Man is not autistic, really. That's a idiot savant sort of thing. It may be on the spectrum of autism, but people think, you know, autism is like, you know, Dustin Hoffman and Rain Man. It's not always that way. It's oftentimes much more subtle and nuanced. And so it's been a journey, to say the least, to figure out what's best for my child and so forth. So we're going through that right now. Chances are probably someone you know is autistic, and the chances are they may not even know it. Um, so anyway, we're going through that yesterday. Hope things are going well. I see uh, New Jersey or South Jersey, Massachusetts, Ohio. We see all you know, most mostly East Coast people. I guess that's where a large portion of the United States lives is in the east of the Mississippi, I guess, and then California. Thanks for showing up. Thanks for being here. I got an email from um, a, a, a follower, an audience member. I'll leave his name out of it. Not that it's that big of a deal, but he can say something if he wants to. But um, about like, how long can I keep the pace up? You know, <laughs> very kind letter, very kind email. But he's like, I don't want you to get burned out. And I'm like, I don't want to burn out either, you know. So uh, I'm doing four four things a week, four, uh, four papers a week. I, I, you know, I, I, as you all know from the beginning of this podcast, YouTube channel, you know, I, you probably know by now, I have no idea what the heck I'm doing when it comes to this stuff. So, um, I'm learning as I go, but what, for some reason, I don't know, take it for what it's worth. I don't know. I just like sitting and reading articles. I, I don't know why I've, I've always been that way. I'll, I'll, I was reading an article the other day on sulfur content of apple seedlings. I mean, you know, what, what are you going to do? You know, I mean, you can't make a dog bark. A dog meows. He's going to always meow. You know, I don't, it's just for whatever reason, I've always enjoyed reading these articles and learning. And um, for some reason, I find myself um, fascinated or um, just comfortable in my ignorance, I guess. I realize I, I don't really know that much. You know, it's amazing how much work was done in the past. And the more I read about these articles, the more humble I am or you know just realizes like there's just so much we don't know and um although I'm not in 
involved really in science. I mean, I'm, I'm doing projects, I'm writing articles like I used to, but nowhere near at the same pace. I'm just doing it more for leisure now, but I'm not really involved with, you know, the scientific community like I once was, but I still like reading articles and learning, you know? So what are you going to do? I like reading. <laughs> I like articles. I mean, I guess at some point, yeah, I think you'd run out of articles, I guess, you know, like I'm doing four a week. That's 200 a year. You'd think eventually I'd run out. I guess I will eventually, but um, I, I don't know. I probably will make an adjustment to the, to the channel maybe after the new year. I don't know. Maybe we do like one morning show and then one evening show a week. See how it goes. I don't know. I don't know how you guys feel about that. If you guys would still show up or if you just like waking up each, each weekday and listening to me, you know, rant about old turf grass articles. I don't know which one you prefer, but for now, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing and <clears throat> see if we can get to maybe Christmas. And then after the new year, we'll see what happens. Of course, I always have to take off when my kids are off school, you know? So the whole, there's like two weeks of Christmas. I won't be on at all because it's Christmas and new year's. So every time my kids are off work, I'm off the, I'm off the channel. There's not much I can do about that. So I'm a stay at home dad. And uh, this gives me the chance, the chance to do stuff like this. As soon as my kids go to school, <clears throat> drop them off, come back, get things organized, review the article, do this. And, you know, I have nice and peace and quiet for two or three hours and I do this. So um, for now, I'm having fun. We'll see what happens. I mean, I always have fun. It's just whether or not I can keep up with it. Like, <laughs> you know, four papers a week seems like a lot. But right now it seems okay. I haven't, e and by the way, I haven't even really got to you know, the real, to me, the really fascinating things like, the, you know, the, the, the papers that are on the edge of our scientific knowledge, right? Like the soil testing things that we don't really have good, you know, knowledge on yet. I haven't even touched those yet. And there's bukus of papers on all sorts of soil testing things, nitrogen source costs, you know, there's a lot of stuff to go over, but you know, there's an argument to be made to kind of slowing it down and keeping a good pace and, but we'll see how it goes. Um, today's paper is pretty fun. It's, I, you know, it's, it's a good paper and it's, um, uh, it, it's a little bit, um, I don't know. It might seem a little bit disjointed a little bit, I guess, but I'm going to, I'm going to do my best to, clean it up and well they don't need my help to clean it up but like you know streamline it a little bit kind of make it make sense <clears throat> um oh thanks lush you listened to three older streams hopefully there weren't ones that you already listened to if you already listened to them and went back and listened to them again maybe there's i don't know maybe there's something i'm doing right i don't know i'm glad to hear it <laughs> Brady says, keep, keep them coming a lot to learn. I don't know if you've ever heard the analogy or, or heard or, or seen the analogy of our, our knowledge. So like, if you take, if you take a balloon, which my my son's birthday was this week and I don't have any balloons sitting. I think they're downstairs. But if you take a balloon and you say the balloon is our understanding of is our knowledge with the air in the balloon like you say it's just you just put like one blow of air into the balloon and the air, the balloon you know inflates a little bit 
the air in the balloon is our knowledge, let's say that. And the balloon itself, the rubber of the balloon, is our sphere of ignorance. The perimeter of our ignorance is the balloon rubber itself. And then you learn more, right? And you blow more air into the balloon. But the perimeter of the balloon, the, the rubber of the balloon expands. And now the perimeter of our knowledge is even more than it was before because there's more air in the balloon. And you keep putting more knowledge in the balloon, more air in the balloon, more air in the balloon. You keep learning, learning more, but the balloon perimeter of the balloon continues to grow and grow and grow. So it's the more you, it's, it's just an analogy or it's an, it's an example of the more we learn, the greater our perimeter of ignorance grows. So the more I read, the more I realize I'm <laughs> how ignorant I am. <laughs> the more knowledge you have, the, the, the greater your ignorance is, I suppose. Um, so that's, I don't know, that's kind of why I do this. I just like being humiliated, I guess. <laughs> it's just so much I don't know. It's crazy. Um, so anyway, yesterday's paper, before we go to this today's paper, I thought yesterday's paper was a little bit thin and then I got some good replies from it. Yesterday's paper was, um, um, yesterday's paper was, I, I used an analogy in it where, um, the cold tolerance and the cold, the winter kill of certain cool season grasses, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, and it showed, it showed that temperature before hardening and temperature after hardening changes, right? When it comes to killing. And I used an analogy in there about, you know, or I used an example, like, you know, we want to be aware of what that is. You can't control the temperature, but we want to be aware of that so that, you know, Hey, I could get some phone calls. And I, I got some good replies on that. Some good emails about that. I guess you guys like that. I've just seen so many people, you know, get stuck in you know, conflicts with customers or coaches or owners or whatever, because the grass died after they did something. And we just want to be aware that, you know, just because you did something doesn't mean that that caused what happened afterwards, right? Like the analogy of the crow. So the crow, or not the crow, the analogy of the rooster, where the rooster crows and then the sun comes up. So for years and years, many, many indigenous people, many humans would, would believe that the crow caused the sun to come up. But of course, we, we know that doesn't happen. So we just want to be aware that just because something came after our action doesn't mean our action caused it. And, and, and it's really more for your businesses. Like You can get stuck in some really litigious situations, especially when you're having to deal with lawns that they might request resodding. And that freeze killing your grass is it, is it exacerbated by what you, what you applied? You know, I don't know what you applied, but the, in some case, in everywhere in the United States, sometime this year, there's going to be grass that dies from winter kill somewhere. And a, some small portion of that, there's going to be something, some, some, some people did something to that grass before it died. There's going to be some fraction, whatever they did, they applied water, they applied nutrients, they applied herbicide, they did something to it, aerated, who knows what it was. And then the grass died. Well, those people might get caught in a situation where they're accused of killing the grass when in fact it was going to die anyway. So that, that paper yesterday, I think was useful because hopefully it provides you some information about, you know, being aware of, you know, this, the risk of death of grass winter kill 
and you're going to go out and apply something in the fall more than likely one way or the other the grass may or may not have a winter kill but there's going to eventually be a winter kill somewhere in the united states and some of those are going to have something applied to it beforehand well it doesn't mean that that caused it so just be mindful of that right i mean this this is turf grass epistemology so what what is epistemology epistemology is the study of knowledge it sounds sort of you know circular or sounds a little odd at first but you know what is knowledge it's it's knowledge is a justified true belief right so <clears throat> if you have a belief that you should apply you know slow release nitrogen in the fall and in some cases that might be true right but do you have justification for that it's it's the gumball analogy like if someone shows you a, a jar full of gumballs and says how many gumballs are in this jar and you say 361 and it was 361 you were you had a belief and it was true but it wasn't justified you just guessed and got it right you didn't have any prior information that led you to to justify that belief and it's the same thing with with turf grass management practices like you could have a belief that applying slow release nitrogen in the fall is a valid approach and it might be true here or there in some years or other years but is it justified do you have any background information to justify that true belief if it happened to be true that, that year and what we've been going over on these papers is evidence to justify a specific management practice in the fall that's epistemology and m almost all the papers we've gone over in fact maybe all of them have justified the use of soluble nitrogen in the fall as opposed to slow release nitrogen in the fall okay we're going to talk about a paper today that shows that same thing there were there were I don't know how many papers someone can go back and look three or four or five or six papers whatever the number is that showed the use of urea was superior than to the use of say polymer coated urea or, or reacted ureas in the fall and there's papers that showed ammonium sulfate were superior to both reacted urea or, or polymer coated urea, either equal to or superior to those slow release sources so if you have a belief that slow release is superior well there's not a lot of evidence to support that belief right there, there's going to be occasionally here or there a case where it might be true but the the, the majority of evidence indicates that the soluble in sources are probably going to be your best option in the in the early fall right because the evidence we're showing and the evidence that's been published uh provides that information you're so you're if you've are if you already have that belief that soluble in sources in the fall will result in the best outcome then now you have evidence to justify that so that's knowledge you have a justified true belief that soluble in sources will um, result in a, in a in a superior turf grass than slow release in sources in the, in the fall or in spring whatever but you understand the concept is that just because you have a belief and just because occasionally it might be true doesn't mean it's justified and you have to have those three components in order for it to be knowledge and that's epistemology so i wanted to kind of briefly go over what it exactly it is what is epistemology right and so today we're going to continue to build upon our knowledge okay our justified true beliefs and if you have a belief that's in opposition to this particular paper you know it's it's a point of 
you know, um, it's an opportunity for growth. Basically, it's like maybe maybe you do have to consider. Well, you know, this paper said solubles is the way to go, and another paper said solubles the way to go, and a third one, and a fourth one. Well, eventually, maybe you might consider making an adjustment based upon the evidence that we've been providing. You know, based upon the justification in the literature to use those end sources that are soluble. So anyway, that's a little bit of where where, where I'm at, and. Um, and the uh, you know the direction or the purpose of this channel. So let me read some chat here. So um, so Randy, Randy, I, and I, I apologize. I've already asked this once to you, Randy, and I and I, I apologize. I know you're on the other side of the planet. If you feel comfortable, could you remind me where you're at? I want to say it's somewhere over in in one of the Asian countries. I, I'm sorry, I can't remember. I want to say I can't remember Malaysia or or or. Taiwan. I can't remember somewhere over there, but Randy says, uh, what do you say? One bird told us that you and RD don't know what that means. We'll be in Daytona. Oh, okay. Uh, Ryan DeMay. Okay. We'll be in Daytona to talk about back to basic budget saving tips and tricks for sport field managers. Will you consider making such kind of video, <laughs> such a kind of video also? Yeah, yeah, I can do that. I guess so. The, uh, yeah. So, um, I give talk. I used to give talks. I don't know, fifteen, twenty times a year at these different conferences, and I've since since I've sort of stepped back from academia, and, and I'm a stay at home dad now. I do. I rarely do talks anymore. Um, but I'm giving a a, a present. I'm giving two presentations at the Sports Turf Manager Sports Field Manager Association in Daytona, and I think it's in January. This coming January. Oh, Randy, you're in Bulgaria. Okay, thank you. I'll try to remember that. I apologize. I have difficulties remembering names and places. Um, so I'm given a, a presentation, two presentations in January at the Sportfield Managers Association. So if you've never been to that, uh, you will be in the same boat with me because I've never been to that. <laughs> I've never spoken at the Sportfield Managers. I usually speak at some other conferences. One of them is, I can't remember exactly, but it's an hour talk on uh simplifying soil tests or something like that S uh, simple soil tests for sport field managers or so something along those lines and then the other one is ball fields on a budget well i was i was given that talk with another uh colleague of mine and unfortunately that my, my friend got a health issue in his family and he's not able to make that talk and so i was like who else can be who else is really good at sports field stuff <laughs> And so uh, I don't know Ryan. I've never met Ryan, but I understand he has a sports uh, company. I've I've heard him talk a couple of times on YouTube, and so I reached out to uh, Ryan to fill in the void on the in the world of practical sport field management on low budgets. So I'll be given a two hour. Oh, he'll he'll give a two hour, and then I'll give an hour on that as well. Yeah, thanks for the little plug there, Andy. I I I always forget to. My wife always reminds me, it's like, you need to say what you're doing and talk about where you're talking and talk about your, you know, consulting stuff. I'm like, God, what are you going to do? You know, I get on here, my one man show. I, I don't, I don't really remember all that stuff. I can barely keep up with what I'm talking about, much less this and, you know, everything else. So I'm doing my best here, but yeah, I'll be giving a talk in January. So if you're in the Florida area or Southern Alabama or Georgia area and you, and you thought you contemplated going to sports fields and you want to come down and do that I, I recommend it i i haven't ever as far as i remember i've never been to that show um I, maybe I, I apologize if i'm wrong i, I don't recall ever speaking at the sports Manager association so i'm excited to go down there and see how it is i've, I've never done that so 
Um, we'll see how it goes. Okay, guys, let's get into the, the paper today. I <clears throat> I like this paper. I'm gonna I'm gonna explain a little bit about it because it's a, some some of the stuff I don't want you guys to get lost in it. And there's one table in here I'm gonna have to go back and forth 55 times on so we don't lose track of what's what. Um, but we're still sticking into the late fall fertilization. This one's late fall fertilization of Kentucky bluegrass, published in Agronomy Journal in 1988 by Werner, Haley, and Martin. Now, I'm pretty sure that the Martin is Dr. Martin at Oklahoma State, and I I don't know that for sure, but it's he's this is published in 1988, which would seem to kind of line up with his um with his time from they're going to Oklahoma. So I apologize if it's not Dennis. Um, if it is Dennis, I'm actually, I apologize if it is because I would have asked Dr. Martin to come on and talk about it. Um, but I think that's Dr. Martin from Oklahoma state. Who's, who's an unbelievably awesome and well-established and successful, uh, turf professor at Oklahoma state been there for ages. He was there whenever I was a uh, undergraduate there years and years ago. And he's still there as far as I know, doing, doing wonderful things. So, um, Warner Haley and Martin, 1988 from Agronomy Journal. As before, if, you, if you're new to the channel and you haven't seen this before, you're going to see some whiteout sections in the articles. Those are just to kind of keep me on track. It's nothing that I'm hiding. You can read the entire article by going to Agronomy Journal or agronomy.org. If you're not a member, you can read the abstract for free. And if, you're, and if you want to read the entire article, <clears throat> consider joining the ASA. Um, it's the, it's the, um, gold standard for turf grass professors. I don't, there's, I don't, you'd be hard pressed to find a turf grass scientist who is not a member of the ASA. This is where we publish all of our top tier journals with the exception of very rare articles in nature and science. Um, pretty much every turf grass research project is, you know, we want to get our papers in Agronomy Journal, Crop Science, Soil Science South America Journal, or Journal for Environmental Quality. Those four journals is what we generally will aspire to publish in. Um, uh, yeah, no problem, Western Mass Turf. He said you gotta you gotta come back later. Thanks for stopping by. We'll uh, we'll still be here if you come back. Okay, at least for the next hour. So let's get through. So we're going to talk about late fall fertilization of Kentucky bluegrass. Now, I believe this was in Illinois. They don't really show in the materials and methods where they did this, but the, the Department of Horticulture, it says University of Illinois. So I'm assuming this is where they did it. The description of the of the location is is not there. They talk about the soil and stuff, but they don't say exactly where they did it. Um, again, this is the 80s and 80s and prior to it's really sort of sometimes um, the standards were a little bit different back then in terms of the, the materials and methods. Nowadays, you have to show where it is, even to the point where you have to oftentimes include the latitude and longitude so we know exactly where it was done. Back then, it was a little different. So research on the use of late fall nitrogen has been conducted in states with maritime, and by the way, maritime uh, or transitional climates. So if you look at this, it says Lettabower and Scogli. We reviewed that paper. Okay, so we're building on our knowledge. Okay, we've already reviewed the Lettabower and Scogli paper, if you remember. I think it was this week or last week. Wilkinson and Duff, 1972. We also covered that paper, if you remember. So he's talking about maritime or transitional climates. Okay, the Hansen and Jessica paper. I don't know if I covered that, but the PAL 67 paper, A and B. We covered both of those. So if you haven't um, heard the, the the podcast or the channel on those articles, those articles are in the library. Just go back and, and look through my, my uh, videos and you'll see those uh, articles. So we're building upon our, our knowledge for the starting way back and coming forward into the current time. Uh, transitional climates, 
where it is possible, where it was possible to maintain green turf grass color almost all year. So what he's saying is this has been done in, in maritime and transitional climates, and this is where you could grow grass all year. Initial hesitancy to use late fall nitrogen applications in the Midwest, Illinois, was based on fear of reduced winter hardiness. Beard 73, I don't know if this is a book. And then the Carol and Welton 1939 paper. Remember, we even covered that. Okay, so he's saying the hesitancy was based upon this paper, Carol and Welton, 1939. And remember, we did a 39 and a 43 paper showing that there was some indication that late fall nitrogen might increase the risk of winter kill. And then later they found out, well, it's not really doing what they thought it would be doing. And now we're starting to apply fall, fall nitrogen. However, field observations have indicated that winter injury does not usually increase with the use of late fall nitrogen fertilization. So there he sums it all up. Okay, so this is the introduction. He's kind of setting the stage. All right. The lawn care. So this is for you guys. I, I'm assuming most people in here are lawn care uh, professionals or homeowners. I don't know if we have any golf course superintendents or sport turf people in here today or not. But um, uh, if I'm correct in my assumption, that you're most, of, most of you all are in lawn care. This is for you guys. It says right here, the lawn care industry relies on the use of urea. Remember, this is 1988 for turf grass fertilization because of its low cost solubility for tank mixing and relatively low salt index compared to other quick release nitrogen sources information is needed by the lawn care industry to determine the effectiveness of late fall fertilization in altering the need for spring applications of nitrogen okay spengelberg 1986 evaluated fertilizer programs similar to those used in the lawn care companies their treatments however i'm gonna i haven't gone over the spengelberg paper 86 paper i'm going to but I'm going to save that for um, foliar burn topic. There'll be a week where I do nothing but foliar burn application, or like the evidence supporting or just refuting foliar burn. And the Spangleberg paper, I believe it's that paper, is um, tailored to that topic. So I'm going to, I haven't gone over that paper, but he's saying that they evaluated um, several lawn care application type company applications and um but they didn't they didn't do any applications in november the purpose of this research was to evaluate fertilization programs with or without a late fall application of ibdu sulfur coated urea and urea in comparison to programs with a september application of nitrogen so you can you can and i'm i'm not going to go over ibdu a whole lot only because i don't i'm pretty convinced that there's not a whole lot of people using ibdu i'm happy to take the little white barks off and talk about it, but I just don't think it's relative pertinent to today. I mean, we're not using it. So I'm going to talk about urea and sulfur coated urea for the most part. There's a little bit of IBDU in there. Okay. So he's saying right here that longer companies need information about should they apply slow release late in the fall or should they not apply slow release late in the fall and just use urea. It's, it's pretty simple. You know, this is, you know, I like papers like this. Oh, I mean, I like papers that are highly theoretical and, super on the cutting edge of you know what science does and doesn't know but and that's fine a lot of those papers are really only useful for scientists like me but you know these papers are published by scientists who are mostly paid by tax dollars that you pay for so when i see papers like this that are intended and designed and you know in published to support those same taxpayers in a very practical way i get excited about it because you know you all are the ones paying their salary i mean when i was a faculty i mean you all were paying for my house payment you know so i felt 
um, you know, gratitude and I felt you know, like a service oriented. You know, I, I felt like I needed to service the, the people who were paying my debt. And so a lot of the papers that I published were very practical and very, very, I felt very useful for the average, the average person, not highly theoretical stuff that's useful for a smaller, smaller audience. Anyway, I digress. Um, the study was initiated on September 7th, 1982 and concluded on November 8th, 1985. So it's three year study. Adjacent pure stands of Newport and Barron, Kentucky bluegrass growing on this this soil. So he has two different um, cultivars of Kentucky bluegrass. The cultivars were established in June 1982. So they were established in June, and then they started the study in September of the same year. All right. I'm going to come back to this table many, many times today, but let me finish this section of materials and methods just, just down here below this, this uh, section. Fertilizer treatments and dates of application are listed in the table that I just skipped over. I'm going to come back. The fertilizers used in this research consisted of urea, IBDU, sulfur-coated urea. Those are the only three sources. All treatments were applied by hand. Okay, so it's very common in our in, in scientific uh, studies. We mark out everything, we get all the squares laid out, and we weigh out a certain amount of treatment to go on. You know, whatever it is, six square feet or four, or sorry, six square meters or four square meters or whatever, and we apply that by hand. And that's a very good um, exercise early on with grad students when you're applying nitrogen. Nitrogen doesn't lie. Okay, when you show a grad student how to put out nitrogen fertilizer. Um, you know, it, it needs to be done in a very specific way or else you'll streak up the plot crazy. And, and I'd tell the grad students at the beginning, it's like, you can do this with, you know, calcium sulfate. You can do this with potassium sulfate. You know, you can kind of fit, you can kind of make some errors. You cannot do this with nitrogen. You have to be very, very careful. And so when you're putting it on, it, and the, the, it's a good lesson, a good uh, material to use to show um, grad students you know, three weeks after they did application, they come back and look at it. And it's like, oh my gosh, it's all streaked up. And like, oh, well, that's because you didn't put it on uniformly. So they don't, to do it by hand is very common. They have shaker boxes and all sorts of stuff nowadays if you're so inclined to do that. But doing it by hand still is very, very common. In fact, I'm just doing it outside in my yard right now with a, with a study I started. So very common. During 1983, color ratings were taken on, the, on a monthly basis throughout the growing season using, using a scale of one to nine with one being yellow, nine being dark green. During 1984 and 1985, color ratings and clipping weights were taken on a weekly basis. What he did include here in the materials and methods, which he talks about later, is that it's one to nine. And in this study, they, they put seven as the minimum um, acceptable limit. Sometimes it's five, sometimes it's six. For some reason in this study, they did seven, that's fine. But that's what they said. So if it was below seven, then it was considered unacceptable. Okay, so. That's the materials and methods. We have uh, three nitrogen sources, and we have um, color and and, and yield. Well, I'm not going to really go over clipping weights and stuff too much today. But the big thing is how they applied it, the dates. Okay, so let's go back up in the table. It's on the screen. I don't know if I can. I can't screw. I can't. You know, I'm not going to be able to zoom in without without it um, kind of going off the screen. I know it's small, but I'll, but it's really important that we go over this table. So you understand exactly what they did because this is really the nuts and bolts of this whole thing. Okay. The first, the first four treatments are all urea. Okay. So I'm over here. All these are urea. He had a regular, they had a regular urea treatment. I'm going to talk about the middle ones first. They had one pound in June, three quarters of a pound in July and one pound in September. And you'll see that for the first three treatments, it's the same thing, okay? Where they had um, they had uh, one pound in June, 
uh, looks like three quarters in July. So these are these are all the same, okay? For the spring urea, late fall urea, and then the urea plus sulfur coated urea, the middle of the sun, the, the summer, and then the let the fall, the September applications were all the same. One, three quarters, and one. But the only thing that differed between treatment one and treatment two was that they applied a pound. I think this is what a pound and a half or a pound and a quarter. I haven't done that. Yeah, it's a pound and a quarter. So they they applied a pound and a quarter in in spring, or they applied a pound and a quarter in November. Okay, so June, July, September is all the same. They either applied a pound and a quarter in the spring, or on the other treatment they applied that same pound and a quarter, but they did it in November. Okay, this is going to be critical to understand. So hopefully, you keep track of this. The only difference between um, treatment two and treatment three is that pound and a quarter in November. They didn't do it as urea. They did it as sulfur-coated urea. Okay, so here's a little bit of gonna, a comparison we're going to see. Well, actually, we're not going to see. <laughs> I'm going to explain it in a second. Where they said, okay, we applied urea in November. What happens if we just apply sulfur-coated urea in November instead of urea? So that's what you're going to see here between these two. Okay, And then they did a low spring urea application where we did more or less the the the... the the June, July, and September the same. They applied a little bit more in September, but then they just did like a half a pound in the, in early May. Okay, so all that straight urea. A lot going on here. Okay, so it's, I like this paper, but I want to make sure we understand it's give or take. The summertime's all the same. June, July, and then the, the for early September is the same. Urea in the spring or urea in the fall in November or sulfur coated urea in November or just a little bit in the spring. So we're kind of seeing, you know, what happens when we just adjust the, the soluble to slow or we adjust the soluble from the fall to the spring. Then we go to straight sulfur coated urea, okay, which is in treatment five, six, and seven is a straight sulfur coated urea. And we have two pounds in June or two pounds in, or, I'm sorry, two pounds in June and two pounds in September. The next treat that's called the standard treatment. Okay, so the standard sulfur coat is two pounds in June and two pounds in September. The late fall sulfur coat is two pounds in June, and then they apply those two pounds in November. Now, remember, we've talked with, uh, I believe it was Dr. Soldot mentioned that these late November, and this is in Illinois, so it's a little south of Wisconsin or Minnesota or um, uh, Wisconsin. Yeah, so it's, it's a little warmer, but it's still cold. We were talking about these late November applications are soluble are a little bit iffy. Like, you know, not, we're not seeing too much. And so now we're putting a late November or a, a late fall or early November application of sulfur coat. It's not soluble in this particular treatment. It's sulfur coat. So then we have, a, so that's the standard sulfur coat and the late fall sulfur coat. Then we have a low rate sulfur coat, which is only one pound in June and one pound in September. So this is the same thing as, this, as the standard sulfur coat. It's just cut in half. But they also apply in, in the summer, and then they also applied a pound and a half in November. Okay. So I don't know why they call it, you know, low rate. It's just it's basically the same rate. It's just a little tiny bit lower. They just applied, um, well, I guess it's a little, yeah. No, well, not really. It's still almost two pounds. It's like a pound and three quarters. I mean, it's almost uh, one, two, three. It's, oh, it's almost four pounds it's three and some three and three quarter pounds or something like that is that right one two three four. yeah three and three quarter pounds rather than four or so but whatever they cut the summer rates in half 
And then they have the IBDUs, which is give, give or take the same. Yeah, it's basically the same as the sulfur coat. So the IBDU program is, is the same as a sulfur coat program. I just use a different in source. Okay. I know that's a lot. I'm not going to talk about IBDU a whole lot, but they, they're doing more in the summer than you might expect, June, July. And then they're applying either in May or November and so forth. Okay. But before I go on uh, out of this table, I want to show over here on the right-hand side, for those listening, <clears throat> on the right-hand side of the table, there are a number, there's a column, two columns, one for one uh, variety, a cultivar of Kentucky Blue, and one for the other. And it has the number of ratings when turf grass color was acceptable. Okay. So the number of times they did a rating that the turf grass was seven, eight, or nine, or seven or greater, right? <clears throat> and there's no statistics on this table. They'll mention it in the text later, but there's no statistics. The number one source, that the, the source that resulted in the greatest number of weeks of acceptable turf grass was the spring urea at 48 weeks number eight ratings and i think they did 52 ratings or i can't remember what it was 52 ratings or six, but anyway 48 ratings okay there's other ones here that are 45 and 40 there's a 46 here from the low spring urea here but if you look at the urea ratings in general from barren or from newport um, kentucky bluegrass whether it's spring urea whether it's late fall urea, whether it's urea cut with um, sulfur coat at the end, or whether it's a low spring urea application, you're going to see 40s and high 30s. Every, 39 is the lowest number of ratings. They had 39 ratings that were acceptable or greater as the lowest. Everything else was 46, 45, 48, okay, even on, on both cultivars. So we're seeing great uh, acceptable turf grass um, very, very frequently. When you go down to the sulfur coat, you're going to see, instead of 40s, you're going to see them in the 30s on both cultivars. You're going to see 36, 37, 32. So you're looking at, I can't remember if these are each week, um, or just the, it's the number of ratings. I think, yeah, it's the number of ratings. So then they did this over three years. So it's not, it's not the weeks of the year. It's the ratings, the total number of ratings throughout the three-year period is what I'm, and what I'm inferring from this. You're going to see 32, 36, and 37 ratings were acceptable, whereas the, the urea were in the 40s. Okay, when you go to IBDU, we have 140, but some of them are in the 20s, 26, 27, 29, 32. Okay, and then they have a control here that had zero. The control was never acceptable. So you can see pretty much pretty clear here, even though there's no stats on it, that there's there's a very good likelihood that if you're using urea, you're going to have uh, acceptable turf grass more frequently than if you use sulfur coated urea or IBDU. You don't really need to go into a whole lot more depth and confuse yourself too much. And we're going <laughs> to hopefully not do that, but we're going to go into more, some more results, but th this is pretty, you know, clear. And the same thing, the same thing has happened. Like we say with, with, um, the paper in Washington, where we're doing West Coast Washington and east east of the Washington's East Washington State location, where ammonium sulfate was only inferior to the slow release sources on one or two occasions. Another every other occasion, it was as good or greater than all the other uh, slow release nitrogen sources. Now, we haven't got into cost yet. 
Okay, but the one reason why this is important is because the turf grass is acceptable or greater more frequently than with slow release sources. That's what this date these data are showing. But it doesn't talk about cost. The cost of urea is is in every case going to be less expensive than pretty much any other nitrogen source you use in turf grass management. And the reason for that is pretty much every reacted or every coated. Um, I mean, pretty much everyone is going to be use a urea as the substrate and you can't, you, let's say urea is created, urea is formed. Okay. In the manufacturing process and they prilled urea from that point forward in the manufacturing of other nutrients, you can't touch it with a machine or a person without adding a cost to it. If you coat it, there's a plastic cost or a sulfur coat cost if a human is involved with it there's a cost with that if they there's an additional cost every time you touch that urea to to form it into something else you know, to whatever it might be urea formaldehyde or sulfur coated or polymer coated or whatever the case might be okay so it's every source other than urea with the, i mean with with some rare exceptions like some in some rare exceptions they have like waste products where where distributors are getting it essentially for free like some biosolids uh, uh, waste streams will, will just give it away to distributors for free under some, under some conditions. Those are rare. And you can't, I mean, you can't, you know, you can't really compare that to apples. But, but, but synthetic nitrogen sources that are manufactured, you can't touch it. You can't touch urea without adding a cost. And so these sources of sulfur coat and IBDU are going to be more expensive than urea. I don't care how you slice that 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 cake. Okay, guys, I haven't gone into the cost. There's only one or two papers that go into cost, but eventually I'm going to go into the cost of these nitrogen sources. And none of these nitrogen sources, even well, sulfur coat actually does kind of come close to urea, and sometimes, occasionally, sulfur coat does actually come close. But urea is consistently the least expensive nitrogen source. Period. I don't care how you want to spin the information. Okay, you want to spin it with cost per ton cost per bag, cost per pound of nitrogen, longevity of response, however you want to spin the, spin the information, urea has consistently been the least expensive source of nitrogen for turf grass management. Okay, so it's, it's important because in this case, you're getting less over here, you're getting fewer weeks or fewer ratings of acceptable turf, and you're paying more for that. Okay, so it's doubly damning, basically, okay? So it, it's it's not a good story for slow-release nitrogen sources uh, in this paper where they're consistently showing um, less or lower quality or fewer frequencies of, of acceptable turf grass from the sources that are more expensive, okay, than urea. Okay, let's go to the, this continuum. I digress a little bit here. I'm getting a little bit off target. This is why I need these white boxes to kind of keep me in line, guys. All right, the fertilization programs, I'm on the screen here. Okay, the fertilization programs resulted in acceptable turf color. Here's the rating greater than or equal to six. On 26 IBDU, IBDU applications, to 48 on the urea spring applications of the 64 rating dates. So they had 64 rating dates and 48, which is what I just showed you in that, in that table, 48 of those 64 urea was acceptable. The lowest was 26 of the 64 where IBDU was acceptable. The general trend in color and clipping weights on the two cultivars were similar. 
However, there were fewer significant differences between treatments on the Newport Kentucky Bluegrass compared to the... Okay, I'm not concerned about that. Newport resumed growing earlier in the spring than in Barron. This characteristic reduces the effect of the fertilization treatments of the spring Newport and less indicated treatments. Okay, that's not a big deal. I shouldn't have highlighted that. Um, all right, let's talk about fertilization with urea. Excuse me. The first four treatments differed in timing and rate of N from urea applications. The spring urea resulted in the largest number of weeks with acceptable turf grass color ratings of any treatments, 48 weeks. And it says table two, but it's actually, this is near, it's table one. So the spring urea, which is right here, the spring urea, which is where they're applying that pound and a quarter in May, as opposed to the pound and a quarter in November, is getting the greatest number of acceptable ratings. So as we spoke of with Dr. Soldat, that this November or late November applications of soluble in is probably not getting us what we want to, to get. Here is a little bit of justification for that, where the November application isn't getting us as many acceptable weeks. It's getting us 39 here, okay? As opposed to that same amount of nitrogen that we applied in November, instead apply it in May. Now we're gaining another nine, nine ratings of acceptable turf grass by simply shifting. We didn't even change the rate. We just shifted it from late no, or early November to early May in Illinois. Okay, that's what this is saying. Color ratings of the, sulf, of the, of the spring urea for, were significantly higher than ratings from late fall urea turf. Approximately twice as often as ratings from fall urea-treated turf were significantly higher than those from spring urea-treated turf. The spring urea-treated turf received higher color ratings during May and June, while the fall urea-treated turf was higher ratings in the early in the early spring. Figure two, I'm going to talk about that. When the, the amount of nitrogen from urea in the spring was reduced, that was in the low spring urea treatment, the LSU, the same trends were apparent when compared to the fall urea. So in other words, when we lowered it in the spring, we still saw the same trends as opposed to uh, in the spring. We still saw the same trends as opposed to that fall urea treatment applying it in the fall. Lower color ratings in the spring from the from the low spring urea, uh, but oh, in the early lower color ratings in the early spring with this the low spring urea, but higher color ratings. Make it down here. Higher color ratings in May and June. Okay, so what he's what, oh this is the temperature. I'm going to get down to a graph in a minute. Um, what was that on figure two? Let me just go there now. Figure two. Okay, figure two is, and I'm not going to be able to zoom in on this, guys. You're going to have to bear with me. I'm looking. Yeah, it's a little bit a little bit small, but I th hopefully you can see it. Now, what we're looking at here is the spring, the, uh, spring urea is the solid line. The fall urea is the dotted line. And the light or the, the low spring urea is the, the long dashed line. Now, when you apply urea in the fall, this these on the left-hand side, for those listening, we have color ratings from 2 to 9, and then we have the months of the year, April, May, June, April, May, June, April, May, June, and so forth. And when you apply the late fall, I'm sorry, when you, yeah, the fall, you're going to see the color rating in April be greater than all the other spring applications because we haven't applied it yet. We haven't applied the, the urea in the spring yet in April. Remember, it came in the, um, the 1st of May was when it was applied. So you're going to see the color rating right here from the fall urea be significantly higher. We're talking a two from the other from the other treatments as opposed to a five or a six. It's still not acceptable, but it's quite a bit higher when from the fall application of urea. But when you apply the, the nitrogen at the beginning of May, you can see the color rating go straight up from the spring urea. 
And then you also go straight up from the light spring urea, the light urea application. Okay, we're going the quality goes straight up. Okay, so we're going from a two or three all the way up now above the fall urea treatment, as in as short as a month. So we applied it in the beginning of May. By the late to to mid May, I'm sorry, late May to early June, we're seeing the color in uh, catch up to that fall application, and we see that for the most part in each year. Here again. We see this is now 1984. The fall urea starts much higher than this than the spring ureas, and then we apply the urea treatments in and get end of April, beginning of May, and you see the colors come up and be equivalent to that fall urea treatment. Okay, and then the fall urea treatment declines, beginning at the beginning of May. The fall urea treatment begins to go down, and the spring urea treatments are now superior. And you see the same thing happen in 1985, where this, the fall urea treatment begins much higher in April. But as soon as you apply the nitrogen at the end of April, beginning of May, you see those that turf grass um, become much greener, and you see the fall urea treatment begin to decline. Okay, to unacceptable limits. This red dotted line I put in here to remind everybody that that's the minimum acceptable limit. So it's pretty straightforward. The fall urea treatment has a little bit of color early on, but then declines as uh, May and June continue, and if you apply a little bit of nitrogen at the end of April or May in Illinois on this turf grass, you see the color goes straight up, okay, and 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 then becomes superior to the um, to the fall treatment, and then you see this is why you see this the uh, the SU treatment, the the normal the so the uh, spring urea treatment have greater number of weeks of acceptable color because it stays up here for a long period and the fall urea treatment has already been depleted and it goes it goes down and it stays down here and as it does go back up it'll hear a little bit here but you'll see the number of weeks are much greater from the uh, spring urea treatment than the fall urea treatment i gotta remove all this oh, i can't i can only remove so many okay so this is pretty clear this is the reason i want to show this paper yeah you're gonna have a little color early on if you applied it in the fall but if you don't apply anything else, you you better go. You're, you're going to see the decline go down. You better go out there and put a little bit of nitrogen down. In in this case, in Illinois, in late April, you know maybe early May, hit it with a little bit so you can get that color to come up. All right, that's basically what this is showing. If you if you fail to do that spring application, you're only rely upon the fall application. You're probably going to have some unhappy customers. So the spring urea is the way to go, and according to these data. Remember, the spring urea had an application. Here's the spring urea treatment, okay? It had an application in September. It had one pound in September. So we're not talking about avoiding all fall applications. We're talking about avoiding that late November application. Or early, I'm sorry, early November, late fall, early November application. So avoiding that November application with urea, putting it out in September, and then instead of putting it out in November, just wait until the spring and put it out in 1st of May. And that's how you're going to maximize the longevity of the color, the number of weeks you're going to have acceptable turf, according to these results. I think that's great information. I mean, that's that's something we can use, right? Now check this out. I highlighted this one in red. I love stuff like this. Replacing, so everybody listen up. If you're spraying something, pause it for like the next 30 seconds. Okay, make sure you turn it up a little bit here. This is important. Replacing the urea nitrogen in the late fall with nitrogen from sulfur-coated urea did not improve the color of the turf during May and June. Data not shown. 
there were few significant differences between the fall urea and the urea plus sulfur coated treatments. So the fall, remember the fall urea and the, and the urea plus sulfur coat, all they did was change the urea in November to sulfur coated urea in November. The differences that did occur were during random periods. Thus, there was no significant benefit in using sulfur-coated urea in place of the less expensive urea in the late fall. I'm going to talk to my science colleagues just for a minute. You guys are awesome. I have been reluctant to write something this bold in many of my papers. I regret that. <laughs> okay, let's if we if our results show this, let's be courageous and, and bold and write, write sentences like this because it is so useful and so clear to the average person that, I mean, to me, you can take this home and say, man, I'm applying two pounds of sulfur-coated urea and two pounds of urea, but this is showing I, I don't even really need to do that. I can, I can do it with just urea and save that money. That's, to me, that's very practical, useful information. So let's let's be a little bit more courageous. I know I'm I'm guilty of not being so bold. Okay, I, I tend to be a little bit, you know, hesitant to write something so so strong. But I, I like that. There was no significant benefit in using sulfur coated urea in place of the less expensive urea in the late fall. <laughs> I love that. The trends. Um, hang on a second. the trends. The trends. Apparent from clipping weights for the four year, I'm not going to go into a whole lot of clipping weights here, but I'm just kind of go over it. Treatments paralleled the trends from the color rating data, with the exception that the growth rate, as indicated by clipping weights of the of the light spring urea treat, treated turf, more closely matched that of the fall urea treated turf than would be expected from the color rating differences. So he's saying, for the most part, it was the same. There was a slight difference between uh, those two variables and these two treatments. Apparently, the half kilogram, half pound nitrogen applied in the spring was not enough to enhance the color of the turf during May and June, but did not greatly affect the growth rate. Uh, oh, no, it was enough. Applied in the spring was enough to enhance the color, but did not enhance the growth rate. Sorry, I misspoke. The results of the four urea treatments indicate that the use of late fall urea application enhances spring color. However, a late fall urea application may not eliminate the need for spring nitrogen fertilization under all circumstances. When turf color in May and June is important, it may be necessary to make a modest nitrogen application in the spring. Now, I said that a couple of weeks ago, and here, and, and I have that belief. I, I believe it, it seems to be true, and this is the justification for that true belief. This is knowledge, okay? So my my recommendation of of um, applying a little bit of nitrogen, soluble nitrogen in the fall, followed with a little bit of nitrogen in the spring, to, is is justified by these results. Okay, that, that's sort of how my brain's wired, I suppose, whether it's, you know, <laughs> beneficial or not, I don't know. But um, okay, we're going to go through sulfur-coated urea here pretty quick. The standard University of Illinois recommendations for using sulfur-coated urea in cool season turf grasses involves an application of two pounds of nitrogen in June and September. The, pur the purpose of treatment six and seven, respectfully, was to determine the effect of shifting the September application to November. Right, and the effect of lowering in rate, but using three applications. The three fertilization programs resulted in acceptable turf grass color on 32 to 38 of the rating dates. The shift of the two pound application from September to November resulted in significant differences in turf grass color in both the spring and fall of the year compared to the standard program. 
The fall sulfur-coated urea-treated turf received significantly higher color ratings in April, May, and part of June. That's figure three we'll talk about in a second. While the sulfur-coat urea treatment, the one that didn't go out in the fall, treated turf received higher color ratings from mid-September to November. The light, the light I'm sorry, yeah, the, the light or low sulfur-coated urea program resulted in turf receiving higher color ratings in the spring, but lower color ratings during the remainder of the year compared to turf receiving just the sulfur-coated program. So basically, this what this is saying is this graph here, um, it has sulfur-coated as the solid line, the fall sulfur-coated rate as the long dash line, and then the light or, or low sulfur-coated uh, urea treatment as the dotted line. And this, I'm not sure exactly why they say this, because it says the, the, the low sulfur-coated urea program appeared to be a viable alternative compared to the sulfur-coated and fall sulfur-coated programs for managers wishing to reduce their yearly rate of nitrogen. I'm not sure why they said that because the results here don't seem to support that, but maybe I'll, maybe I'm confused, but they're saying this, this dotted line appears to be okay. And you can probably reduce the rate. But when you look at the dotted line, you'll see the dotted lines be below acceptable a long, long, long time. Look at all these dotted lines down here and it's below acceptable limits. And then in the second year, 1985, it goes above the line for April, above the line for June and June and July, and above the lines for September. But it's below the line for May, for uh, some of June, some of most of all of August, all of September, and it starts going back down in November. So I'm not sure exactly why they would say it seems to be okay because it seems to maybe not be okay. Uh, but the sulfur coat treatment is is above this um, minimum line for quite a while. And then the fall sulfur coat treatment as well, you'll see periods where it declines and um, it, you know, the, the, the fall sulfur coat that occurred here, you'll see the line stay quite above the, the acceptable limit for most of the spring and summer. And it's only in August and September from the prior year's application that you start to see this line go down below acceptable limits. So that fall application will give you that early color, but it, you're going to need a little bit of spring color to kind of keep it going. A spring nitrogen to keep it going, sorry. I'm going to skip through IBDU. I don't really see much value in it. I had some stuff highlighted. You're welcome to read it. The comparison between fertilizer sources, and this is the last paragraph. Comparing the results of the late fall program using urea versus a more expensive program of June and September applications of sulfur-coated urea or IBDU revealed that all three programs resulted in acceptable color ratings on 37 to 40 rating dates. Okay, so... IBDU, sulfur-coated urea, and, and urea, all three resulted in acceptable color on 37 of the 40 rating dates. On both cultivars, the, the fall urea program resulted in significantly higher color ratings in the early spring than the sulfur-coated program, while the sulfur-coated program resulted in significantly higher color ratings in June and July. So it's just saying that this slow release delayed the response a little bit further out. But let's read this, let's read this a little bit more, um, um, I don't know, a little differently. Let's read it again. Uh, comparing the results of late fall program using urea versus a more expensive program. Okay. More expensive programs <laughs> using sulfur coat or IBDU revealed that all three did 37 to 40 rating dates. So it's real, it's real, <laughs> real straightforward. They'll all do it. Urea, sulfur coated urea. I always have these little things pop up when I do this. Urea, sulfur-coated urea, and IBDU all, all resulted in acceptable turf grass. But they say the urea versus the more expensive 
options. So if you want to go out and put sulfur coated urea out, IBDU out, in this particular paper, you're, you know, you'll probably be okay. It, you're not going to be as okay as frequently as urea, but you, you know, you're going to see okay turf. It's just going to cost you a lot more money to get that result. That's basically what it is. And I'm surprised we haven't done more cost analysis work in the literature. You won't find a lot of cost analysis on nitrogen sources on turf grasses. You see this all over the place in ag. You see it in soybean cost per acre and, you know, all sorts of corn. What's the cost of, to, you know, apply nitrogen, potassium to corn per acre. You see it all over the place. But you don't see a whole lot of papers on what does it cost to maintain acceptable turf grass for a season from these different nitrogen sources. We, there is one paper for sure that I can, I'll go into eventually. Um, but we don't see that a lot, but he hints at it here by saying the, the authors hint at it here by saying that urea and sulfur coated urea and IBDU all resulted in some acceptable ratings, 37 of 40, but the urea and the SCU are much more expensive. So, so keep that in mind. If you're a sulfur coated urea fan and for some reason you still have IBDU laying around and you're applying that and you're an IBDU fan, there's a reason why your turf probably looks okay because it, it's coming from nitrogen and probably looks okay. They, they've found the same thing. It probably looks okay very fairly frequently. It's just costing a lot more money to, to get that result. That's the take home message from today's paper. Okay. If you want to apply something in the fall, do it in September, because if you do it in November, then, I mean, you can do it in September in September, but if you do it in November, rather than doing an application in the spring, you're probably going to result in a couple of uh, ratings or weeks of unacceptable turf as opposed to just waiting and applying that same amount of nitrogen that you were going to apply in November and apply that in April or May. Well, you have to see where you're at relative to the, you know, your growing season. It may be, not, it may be May in your location or maybe, you know, early April in your location. But the point is that late fall application is not given near the response as the spring application of soluble urea is. Okay. Any questions, put them in the chat now. I'm, uh, I'm going to read through the chat real quick and see if there's any questions I should, uh, should address. Um, okay. So Randy, you say more color, low growth, low nitrogen in the spring, more total, uh, non, non-structural carbohydrates. That is the conclusion for me. Okay. Yeah. And by the way, on that note, Randy, um, I pulled, I think there were seven. Let me look. I pulled uh, four, five, six, seven. So I have seven articles on carbohydrates. We have some from as far back as 1969 and as recently as 19, or 2012. We have them on zoysia grass. We have them on uh, bluegrass. So we, you know, we have them on bent grass. So there's several carbohydrate articles that I have in the, um, in the pipeline. Uh, some of them have to do with how they change relative to growth regulators and all sorts of stuff. So, um, I'll, I'll at some point I'll have at least, well, at least two weeks. If I continue at this pace, I'm doing four a week. I'll have at least a week or two of nothing but carbohydrate um, papers to go over. So, you know, that's for you. <laughs> I'm not a carbohydrate person, but, um, 
but if that's something you're interested in, I'll have that's in the, I don't know exactly what I'm going to go over, but that'll be, um, that'll be gone over at some point. That's all I got today, guys. I'll be on, let's see, today's Tuesday. So tomorrow night at 9 p.m., we will be discussing, what's the next paper? We will be discussing, so again, we're moving up into earlier times. Oh, okay, the paper I wanted to discuss, I'm going to put that on pause till next week. So we'll either, we'll either be discussing one of the 2006 papers where we're talking about um, cultivars of three cool season turf grasses, or are we looking at fall, fall fertilization timing effects on, on uh, turf grass color and leaching and stuff? So uh, either way, it's still going to be cool season turf grass stuff for tomorrow night. Okay, guys. So if there's nothing else, tomorrow night, 9 p.m., thank you all for showing up, participating. I really appreciate all you all your support. You guys are the nicest audience. I, I don't know what I did to deserve all the kindness, but I, I certainly appreciate it, and I, and I, I acknowledge that. Uh, you all you all are fantastic thanks so much i'll see you guys tomorrow night at nine o'clock see ya